Welcome to The Deciders. This is Renee Frazier, host of The Deciders and founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. Frazier is the leading woman-owned and woman-led advertising and communications firm in all of Southern California. But our show, The Deciders, allows us to focus on leaders, change agents that can help give us a better perspective on the world as we grow our businesses and contemplate how we can have a better and bigger impact on the world around us. Today, we're going to delve into the world of espionage and the international threats that make our political life in the United States difficult to navigate. There is disinformation, widespread distrust, and a lot of political division within this country. How do we really know who to trust? My guest today is a 32-year veteran of the CIA, often called a legendary spy master. And although he left the CIA many years ago, he's written about his experiences in a very intriguing way. He's been interviewed widely about the CIA. And in the late 90s, he led uh, CIA operations abroad. He's just written his second book, which we're going to talk about, Spy Master's Prism. Welcome to the Deciders, Jack Devine. Thank you, Jack, for being here. It's great to be with you, Renee. Jack, you've been involved with Russia, KGB spying, and Russian politics for years, but you say the threat today is worse than ever and worse than the Cold War period. Why is that? Yeah, I think a lot of people have trouble coming to grips with the Russia issue. In other words, they want to say the Cold War is behind us and let's move on. And we're all in on China. And this is not to deprecate in any way our interest in, in China. But when you look around the world from an intelligence perspective, you know, the Chinese came very late to the intelligence business. I mean, much of their, as they've grown economically, that economic power has now moved into military power and with that intelligence power. But if you look at, are they running operations in the United States? How big, how deep are they into it? When did they start? How big of a part was the human intelligence part? You would have to say they're neophytes. Now, they're moving quickly. Don't underestimate the speed with which they're moving. But the Russians have been working the U.S. account since uh, 1917. And I remember a great spy we had in New York City. He was the number two KGB guy in New York City. And he came out, out and uh, declared himself on the American side in 2004. And he said, you know, when I joined the KGB, the number one threat was the U.S., number two was NATO, and uh, number three was uh, China. And when I left, years later, number one was the United States, number two was NATO, and number three is China. So even, you know, not talking that long ago, 2004. But when you look at the 2016 election, it really threw me off balance. Why did it throw me off balance? It wasn't that they were meddling in the United States. I mean, I expected them to be running operations here. The big difference, and this is, Renee, your point about the Cold War. In the Cold War, we had an understanding that we were not going to meddle in each other's internal political affairs. We'd fight around the world in Afghanistan and Chile and the Middle East, but we would not mess around in each other's country. They clearly played by a new game in terms of using cyber in an internal American election. Forget how consequential it is. I mean, you can argue about that. That isn't the point. The point is they're operating in the United States. When you look at the Chinese, the Chinese have considered doing it several times. 
but they're not doing it. Where are the Russian, where, who's going toe to toe with us around the world? If you look around, it's Putin pushing back on all the things we did in the Cold War. Right. And look at Ukraine this last two weeks. I mean, people in Washington are finally waking up to the fact that he's mobilizing on the border and it's within the realm of feasible that he could invade Ukraine, an ally of ours, many Americans are Ukrainian. So when you look at it, China is that big military economic threat. But when you're talking about who's meddling and who's who do we worry about domestically right. and around the world fighting us, you better take another look at Russia as Jack DeWine's comment. I keep waving the flag and every once in a while it'll pop up. And again, people are now worried about Russia. So right. I'm a little, you know, it's a year after I've written a book, but, you know, and I've been talking about it since 2014 when I wrote Good Hunting. So anyway, Renee, it's a long answer, but it's queuing up sort of where I'm coming from. The main theme is pay attention to Russia. I think you're, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've read enough about uh, our, our, some of our, our uh, espionage, our intelligence work to know that we had somebody in Putin's vicinity. He doesn't write anything. He won't put things in emails. But he verbalized that he wants, wanted Trump to win. And he made it, you know, it, he, he, he had firms that were creating content that was anti-Joe Biden. And, and of course, they wanted uh, uh, Sanders to be the one to run against Biden because they knew they could put Sanders in the socialism box and, and, uh, and shut him out and, and allow Trump to win. But I think we all saw Russia was heavily involved in meddling with misinformation and deliberately, I mean, Look, the Republican Party gave them our data. I'm a data analyst person. I know when you know where the pockets are of people that are on the fence, you send them the right kind of information, you tip them in one direction. And they did that, no doubt about it. Well, there's two really important issues here that I think are, are worth addressing. One is the Russians actually have a strategy. It's not a hidden strategy. I mean, this is, it's a strategy that's a Cold War strategy. We are their number one potential adversary, if not adversary. But this point about meddling in our country, the really fundamental reason, why one, point, one moment they'd be interested in Trump and another somebody else, it is really to mess around in our political system to make our political system distrust each other. Yes. In other words, there's a bigger game than a single politician. That's right. That's and right. that's why it doesn't end with Trump or begin with Biden or end with Biden. Right. It's their main objective isn't to have a coup here, right? Let's <laughs> pray. But it's to make us fight among ourselves. So during the campaign, they put out, um, I think it was 80,000 Facebook uh, posts, you know, 3,000 Twitter. I mean, it was all designed... And today, if you watch them, you know, they're into COVID, undermining, you know, what we're doing. And God, look at their own situation. They should be looking at themselves, but they're putting disinformation. So what I want to do is get away from American politics and say they really have a more dangerous, yes. a dangerous game. And then the second point, which I think needs a lot of consideration, the big difference today from my time in the agency and I do run intelligence business in the private sector and support of companies today. I'm not so far away from it. In fact, I have a really firsthand view of a lot of this. Is the role of cyber. Mm -hmm. I didn't have cyber tools 
you know, we tried our own information and they did, you know, uh, organized 20 people to sit down with Brezhnev or something. Right. The power of cyber to mess with your mind and to cause dissent is an astronomically more dangerous weapon. And you're using it. Coming back to the Chinese, the Chinese, everybody uses it to collect intelligence. But who does it to influence the, the, and change the political game? And my, I rest my case on Russia. They're a small country. They're a big country, excuse me, small economy, more like Spain and Italy's. But they're punching well above the weight. Why? Because yeah. they're using cyber. They're using it as a weapon. We're not using it as a weapon to my knowledge, against maybe the terrorists. Then this is why these meetings have been recently started up with the Russians, I think, are potentially valuable and that we need some new ground rules. What are the ground rules? We had them during the Cold War. No one can tell me what are the ground rules? What are the limits to how far Putin's going to go? And how are we going to respond to what you were describing? Well, you know, it's interesting you uh talk about what the U.S. is doing and the ground rules. I had the opportunity to sit with a, a gentleman from the intelligence uh, when I was flying out of Washington once, and he said to me, we are so um, unequipped in the digital space. And he said, part of the problem is we're not allowed to hire people with any kind of a criminal record. So a young person, <laughs> marijuana, <laughs> exactly. How many drinks? How many drinks did he have? Tell the truth before he started talking like that. <laughs> he wanted us to have stronger hackers, you know, hackers, because yeah. well, there's no doubt in Russia they're using but, those folks, right? That also know how to use cyber for criminal activities. I want to polygraph that guy. I don't think he belonged in the intelligence <laughs> world. Let me tell you uh, a side story for the entertainment of your audience. You know, it's legendary in the agency. Early on, we had a fellow come in and he was polygraphed. You have to go through the polygraph. Now, he wasn't being vetted to be a, a spy abroad and all that, but at a lower level. But he said, oh, yeah, I, I, I've been involved in uh, uh, robberies and break-ins. <laughs> the polygraph said, what are you telling us this for? Why are you coming in here? Right. This has to be reported to justice. And he said, no. I thought that's what you were looking for, people who could break in and rob and steal. And <laughs> so the point is, there's a different standard. Really, there's a very high standard. There is. When you, you can't trust people with money to go over the other side of the mountain and give the Mujahideen or the, the, the fighters against the, the Taliban a bag of money and say, well, you know, he did it and it was done. You know, you have to trust that it actually happened because no one's there to see it. So there's a very high bar when they hire people about their integrity and in particular financial things. So True. getting hackers, let me tell you, the, the guy really doesn't know what he's talking about. We have fantastic capabilities. Yeah. I match our capabilities. The difference is the beauty of our country is our democracy, but it does lead to some inefficiencies. What's the inefficiencies? Deciding and having the will to use it, right? In other words, I'm not worried that we can't uh, punch it out with the Russians or the Chinese. The question is really a policy decision. And I'm worried because when I would go down on the Afghan program, drive the Russians out of Afghanistan, uh -huh. the Republican Democrat couldn't give me more, enough money, enough support to get it done. I said, Look, I got enough. I don't need any more. But it was bipartisan. 
Right. So when you get around to talking about how are you going to deal with cyber and how's your response, those senators need to really get along and have a common view on the importance of this country's interest here. Yeah. So very hard for a president to act unilaterally on this. And But my point is, if the Russians don't stop doing this, what are we going to do? We have to be united in our decision. In our and country. It has to be a smart Absolutely. decision. I think we also need a very strong cyber intelligence group. Now, you may tell me that already, I'm sure it already exists, uh, but uh, deploying it properly and appropriately, do you feel like we're, you said, not punching at the weight of the Soviets? Do you think we're closer or are we moving in that direction? Or does it take this bipartisan agreement before we can get there? We have the capability, but, but your audience not be confused or nervous about that. What did the Chinese and Russian try and hack into in our in intelligence world? They want to tap into our capabilities so they can steal the capabilities to increase their capabilities, right? So the power is there. One of the things, again, beautiful about the United States is it's a rich environment for academic thinking. It's, you know, go to your, um, your, uh, the people in the valley, right? You go to the people in the Silicon Valley. You know, you got geniuses in there working technology, right? Yeah. A lot of China stuff and Russia stuff is copied, not original. So there's a there. We are still an incredibly inventive world. Now the gaps are closing. Okay, I'll give you that. So I'm not worried that we're we're not cutting edge. I think we can. Uh, God forbid somebody try and take us down on this. But I think the president and the previous president, I'm by, I am a nonpartisan in my judgments from an intelligence point of view. I certainly vote for different presidents in my, my time. But the, the, the president here, both presidents had a difficulty, still have trouble figuring out how to respond. Yeah. And I've been saying in the book, we need to go back to those old Moscow rules and there has to be an agreement you can't have a public agreement, you know, with the Chinese saying we're not going to hack in. And no one may, pays any attention to it. We have to have rules that you cannot do this. And if you are, we're going to respond. And we have to respond. And this is a very dangerous place. This is where diplomacy and statesmanship, we have to put our best people in front of the Russians and confront them with the best information and be absolutely clear. And they have to take us seriously. And God forbid, we have to respond. And that can escalate. And I've been... I'm a man of peace, to be honest. Like most generals really want peace because they know the cost of the alternative. The lives. I'm saying I, I want the Russians to sit down and talk. They shouldn't be our enemy. What the hell are they our enemy for? I mean, really, the communism is gone. And now you've got a you know a spy master president. But you know, we should be allies. This is a this is a contrived fight. I really, I really think uh, don't you think Putin, part of it Putin's is mis- Putin's judgment. Right. It's like he wants to be the captain of a small ship instead of, you know, the commodore of a big army. I mean, uh, you know, I, you, you make the point in the book that there's no such thing as a former spy. And Putin is so dangerous to the United States as a result of that. T- tell us about what you see as his psychology and how he operates and sees the world. You're talking to a former spy, so I, I, uh, I, have, to, I have to divulge there is no such thing. Putin's right, there isn't. But what he doesn't, he doesn't mean that we get our cloak and daggers and go out at night, right? What he means is that there's a, a way of looking at the world. And if you look at it, I mean, he's looking at the practical considerations of what's best for Russia. Every minute, every moment of the day is what's best for Russia, what's best for me. 
not what I would like to have and not what, you know, some fantasy world wants to be. He's hard edge. And that's what a spy master brings into it, objectivity. That's what you buy when you walk through the front door of CIA. It says on the wall, you shall know the truth. It will set you free. What does it mean? You're, what you're making here is information that you really trust. So I think that's the spy master's mentality. And he understands manipulation. He understands the role of intelligence, uh, state uh, brinksmanship, all those skills that he learned both in the KGB and as the head of the FSB, which is their version of the FBI. So we're up against a formidable guy. I just don't like his agenda. I mean, you know, if he was fired me as an advisor, the CIA would arrest me. But if we had a nice drink together, I'd say, listen, you're doing a great job for you, for yourself, but you know, you can do better. I mean, if you really warmed up your relationship, the United States would be better for everybody. You know, there's no, no reason to be yeah, doing what you're doing. Yeah, Attacking the United States, in its election process? Are you kidding me? Yeah. What audacity. Yeah. Well, let me ask you about our current CIA. How do you feel and the FBI? How do, uh, how do you see our leadership in those two areas? Well, I think, I think that we're extremely well served by the selection process. Uh, uh, William Burns is, uh, is, uh, has great credentials. He served in Russia, speaks Russian. Uh, served in multiple governments, Ray's been around the FBI. So I think we have the, the competency is surely there and both the FBI and the CIA have very high standards. And I do think there are cultural things that have changed. And I, I think there's, this is a moment to reflect. And what, are, what am I saying? For the past 20 years, we've been fighting two wars. And I can tell you firsthand, when you fight a war, it absorbs all of your power, whatever one tells you about. We can do all these different things. War becomes where you put your best people, your best activities, your energy. Yeah. And so for 20 years, those the CIA goes through a period of tactical intelligence collection focused largely on military and terrorism. And in Good Hunting in 2013, when I drafted or published in 2014, I said, terrorism is going to be with us forever. Always been there, ups and downs. Nation states are coming back. So how do you take a workforce? This, these are the challenges. And I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, you're a four-star general or a captain. You know, the, the transition. It's always easy to build up organizations when you're going into more stuff, more resources. Building down, refocusing, these are big challenges. And you don't get rewards. No one gets medals in the downside. In other words, but this is where, how are we doing our business? Are we harnessing the, coming to your audience, are we really harnessing what is knowable in the business world? We've talked about it for 50 years. And there are organizations and meetings and so on. But have we in the federal government, are we modernizing? Are we getting hip, if you will? Yeah. And I'm worried about this transition. And we're human beings. And I've been in institutions. I, I rose to run the spy business, if you will. We don't call it the spy business. That's only for the outside world because it's the only way committees. We're more elegant intelligence business than spy. So my... My, my point here 
is there are some overarching issues. And I come back to this old saw. We need to get our act together politically where we can talk about these things down on the Hill and the administration's everything they do isn't a, a political issue. We'd have to figure out, you know, the, the, I'm going to really annoy all of Northern Virginia where I used to live. <laughs> now that whole empire is built around war fighting. Right. right. And, That's right. And what's going to happen? These are really serious. How do you retread? You know, yeah. someone throws it's a self-licking ice cream, which I had trouble imagining, which is, oh, that goes away. And then some other war task comes along. No, I don't think so. So I, I really think there's a, this is a moment in time. What type of intelligence world do we need? Mm. What type of FBI do we need? What is our foreign policy? What is it? Where are we going? Because I think it's like either the beginning of the Cold War, you need a policy on where you're going. So it isn't so much the talent. It's a question of do we know where we're going? And how do we set our priorities? You know, I think, in fairness, the current administration, uh, there's, there are other areas that have become um, top of mind for good reason, climate change, right? So uniting the world on it for climate change has be, you know, has some political uh, coinage, right? For people, particularly for younger people, and, and it needs to be done. So it superseded some of the things you're talking about. But I think we, in the old expression, we can chew gum and walk. This is a fantastically powerful. We underestimate how powerful our own country is. Yeah. We underestimate our reason with all the flaws that get in the way of our vision. Let me tell you, go in the talk foreigners. When you talk to foreigners and they look at us, they look at us entirely differently. Really powerful. We want to be on their team. But we can, in other words, we shouldn't walk away from climate. This is a an existential threat for our generations. Yes. That right? yes. doesn't mean you can't deal with defense issues. In fact, I would argue because we've ended two wars, we need to be harnessing, you know, the the you know, what are we going to do with with all those resources that we're going there? How do we redirect mm-hmm. that? So I'm talking about intelligence and and national security because I feel that's something I can speak with some experience. I see. But I I think we've got a lot of work to do here at home. And, you know, you and I both are troubled by somehow we have to grow up here. I think there's a paucity of leadership. Let's name the top 10 leaders in this country that are taking us somewhere and have a original idea. You know, it becomes a a quiet discussion real fast. Yeah. You know, there's this, I met a lot of people in in my life who would go over a hill and be shot at. I mean, they really were that brave. But you say, look, stand up, you know, fight the inspector general, stand up and say something, say something about where we are to go. No, I can't do that. So there's Kerry. I mean, Profiles and Courage, you know, goes back to the 60s. Jack Kennedy, the great title of the book and some fabulous examples. You know, where is that? And I, I think these are times where you put your personal gain aside. Yes. There's too much posture where is the there's, there's such big problems yeah. you would think somebody wants to grab it and run with it you know so i'm a little disappointed and i think it comes back to this soft not softness this soggy and political environment we're in we need real strength real clarity of thinking that was one of the beauties of both world war ii and the cold war clarity of thinking 
Yes. You know, people knew it had to be done. The Garfield plan, we got it done. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> there was a focus. And of course, we were galvanized. Uh, you know, we don't have leaders that have galvanized us. We have this divisiveness. You know, Jack, we're going to have to wrap up. But I, I think about what you're saying and how it relates to running a business. You also have to be focused, right? And you have to be willing to stand up for what's right and call people on what's wrong. Would, would you add to that? Well, I think the business world, a lot of things I've learned in the business world, and when I compare it with the intelligence world, I mean, the business world moves very fast. They validate their information on a very simple principle, right? You either get it right, and if you don't get it right, I'm not hiring you the next time. But I think there's uh, information is a, the key issue right now, I would say, every businessman, every businesswoman needs to think about the role of intelligence and information in making good judgments. I've cleaned up behind a lot of businesses that go into foreign countries, invest in a company. They don't really understand the country. They don't understand how the system works. Right. And they don't even understand the company that well. And all, you know, it's one of these situations of all boats rise when the water's going up. In other words, okay, you throw the money and you keep it. And then the water goes out and you're sitting there with bad assets. Yeah. In the last few years, because when you're in CIA, you see corruption on one level, but you don't see companies and the corrosive, corruptive behavior. And uh, I'm worried about the rising tide of corruption and how business is done. I agree. And where I think, they pay their taxes, business, where they don't think, pay their taxes. Yeah, yeah, they've been very business, shrewd. I think the business community, you know, they all have signs, right? These are our standards, our mission statement. Yeah. You know, they all went to the same court, but they dusted off. I mean, you really... Running a company, you know, putting high stake integrity. If I were investing, I would. That's what I would look for. And I think my message to people: you can make a fast buck, but you're going to sleep better, and you'll make a bigger contribution if you do your homework, and if you pay careful attention to play by the rules. I appreciate that, Jack. This has been terrific. Thank you for spending time with us on the Deciders. This has been a veteran of the CIA, Jack Devine, and uh, his book, second book out, is wonderful, Spy Master's Prism. I recommend it. Thank you for listening to us. You can hear our podcasts on FraserCommunications.com, our website. For a full-service firm, you can find us at FraserCommunications.com. Have a wonderful week ahead. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier.